Bible says in Revelations 19.10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Anytime somebody shares their story and shares their testimony, it creates faith in the people that are hearing the story to believe that if God changed their life, then God can change mine. Amen, amen. I know you've heard it 16 times, but it's still true. He's a God that can change lives, amen. Well, good morning, church. How y'all doing? Ah, uh, how y'all how y'all doing this morning? Y'all excited about Jesus this morning? I like it. I like it. I like it. If it's your first time here, I want to tell you thank you so much for choosing to spend time with us this morning. Um, you could have went to any other church and you came here. Uh, my name is Zach Benner, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and um, I'm so thankful that you came out this morning. Just like I've done the past few weeks. Those of you at the Dyer County Jail and the McDowell Center, we love you. We're praying for you, and we pray that this message would change your life. The reason I've been saying that this past couple of weeks, I want to kind of tell you now because it's out, but starting this week, we will be taking every message that is here on Sunday, and it will now go into the jails every single week. So they're going to get to see what God is doing here, which is incredible. I'm so excited about that. They're going to get to be a part of what God is doing here. Another thing I want to tell you about, and they're going to put it on the screen here in just a second. In two weeks, on February the 9th, we're having something called Baptism Sunday. It's going to be an incredible, incredible day. We've got quite a few people that are wanting to be baptized, and so we decided we're just going to make a day of it. And uh, that morning, I thought I heard music. Uh, that morning, we will have a few songs. I will teach on baptism for about 30 minutes. And then for the next 30 to 45 minutes in the service, we're just going to baptize people. And so if you're in here today and you've been wanting to get baptized and it's something that you've been wanting to do that you, and you just haven't done it and you want to do it, February the 9th is a day that you can do it. After that, we're going to continue to do our normal baptisms every week. But this is just a day we say, hey, there's a bunch that want to do it and we're going to do it. Baptism is more than just a ritual. It's a supernatural thing. And uh, the Bible says in Mark 16, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is huge. And so if that's something you're wanting to do, listen, please, please, please mark your connection cards. And so and mark baptism. If you want to do that right now, you can. Turn them in so we can have an idea of how many people are going to do it. This is going to be an incredible day. How many of you are excited about it? I love seeing baptisms. I think it's incredible getting to see people make a decision to follow Jesus. Well, let's pray, and we're going to jump right into the Word. Father, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for truth. God, I thank you that your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there's liberty. God, I feel your presence in this room. I feel that you are here. I feel that you're wanting to change lives. And I ask today, God, that you would speak to every heart in this room, change every single life. I ask that you would hide me behind your cross and those that would be on this stage today, that people would hear directly from you. God, I ask this morning that lives would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning to teach God's Word, but I'm excited more for the story that you're going to hear today. It's one that I'm very, very um, uh, dear to that means so much to my life. But before I get into the story, before we see our testimony video and, and hear this story, I just want to give you the backdrop like I've done the past couple of weeks. Why are we doing this series? We believe that every person, you probably could quote it by now, you're probably sick of hearing it, but every person has a story. 
Some are good, some are bad. But when God gets into our story, our, our mess becomes the God story. All of us apart from Jesus, whether we know it or not, are a mess. But when Jesus gets in our mess, our mess becomes a message. And we believe that a testimony is powerful. And our belief is that when you hear a testimony, that you can begin to have faith to believe if God did it for them, God can do it for me. Your, uh, this story can be your story. Your story can be somebody else's story. And so that is why we're doing this series. And today, before we get into it, each week I've asked the Lord to give me a word, to give me some sort of word that would kind of set up the story that would come. Last week I preached on pain and suffering, and you heard one of the most incredible stories that I've ever heard in my life. But um, this week, as I begin to pray, God gave me something out of Matthew chapter 27, and I'm only going to preach to you for about 10 minutes. I wish I could for three hours because I'm dying to teach the word. Um, and so if you have your Bible or your iPad or whatever we use, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27 is a very interesting chapter with a lot of things that really can speak to our life. But before understanding Matthew 27, you need to have an idea of what's going on in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, Judas Iscariot agrees to betray Jesus. The Last Supper takes place. Jesus then predicts that one of his followers would deny him three times. Jesus goes to the garden and begins to pray. He's then betrayed by Judas and arrested. Then Jesus is taken before the priests and the elders and the religious teachers who begin to ask him, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? And then Peter then would deny Jesus. Matthew 27 then starts off with Jesus being taken before Pilate, the Roman governor. Jesus would now be on trial and they begin to ask him all kinds of questions. He's being accused by the people. And while this is going on, Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, who had sold him out for 30, 30 pieces of silver, realizes what he's done. And he comes into the temple and he throws the 30 pieces of silver on the ground and said, I've done a terrible thing. I've betrayed an innocent man. I've betrayed an innocent man. And that's where I want to pick up in verse 11 of Matthew 27, and I'm going to give you your weekly Bible study um, so you don't have to read today. I'm totally kidding. Read your Bible. Uh, starting at verse 11 of Matthew 27, it says, Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, You have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all of these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. He was on trial for murder. He was on trial for leading an insurrection, causing a lot of trouble in the city. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus or Barabbas? The, Jesus, the one they call the Messiah or this notorious sinner. He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas! Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the, raw, the mob roared even louder, crucify him. 
Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that the riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. This responsibility is yours. He was saying, this man's innocent, and I'm not going to be responsible for his death. And the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he ordered that Jesus be flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and Jesus was led to be crucified. And so you start off in Matthew 27, you see that Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate examines him thoroughly, but Jesus says nothing. And then in Matthew 27, you get this random fact that tells you that every year at Passover, it was known that the, that the governor would release a prisoner. He would release a prisoner. And so you have Jesus that's on trial, and you have Barabbas that's on trial. And Pilate says, who do you want me to release? The innocent or the guilty? And while Pilate is saying this, his wife comes in and says, don't do anything to this man. He's innocent. I've had a dream about him that was very, very disturbing to me. And while this is happening right outside, the priest and the elders, they're out there persuading the people to have Barabbas be released and have Jesus be crucified. And Pilate asked again, who do you want me to release to you? Jesus or Barabbas? Who do you want? Pilate knew this man was innocent. So he was doing whatever he could to try to get them to change their mind. And they said, we want Barabbas. The crowd begins to get louder and louder and they begin to shout, crucifying, crucifying, crucifying. And Pilate says, why? What has this man done? What has he done? He's innocent. What has he done? The mob gets louder and louder until Pilate knows he can't do anything about it. And in front of the people, he washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Jesus is then led to be flogged and crucified. Why do I say all that? I want to pose the question, who is this man Barabbas? Where does he come from? You see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to be going normal. And out of nowhere, you see this guy named Barabbas. In my Bible, it says his name is Barabbas. But if you look in other translations, his name is not just Barabbas. His name is actually Jesus Barabbas, which means son of the father. And so you've got two men on trial. You've got the son of God who's innocent, who all he's ever done is heal deliver, show mercy, show grace, and pardon. Then you've got the son of the father, Barabbas, which is guilty. He deserves the cross. He deserves the punishment. He deserves the death penalty. It's truthfully a crazy question that should have never even been asked. Who do you want? Do you want the one that deserves to go free or do you want the sinner? And the crowd chose the sinner. And I can picture Barabbas, I can picture them taking the keys and undoing the chains that are around him. And I can picture Barabbas coming down and, 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 and probably high-fiving people and saying, thank you for setting me free. And he's convinced that it was the people that let him go free. He's convinced that even though he had done all of this stuff, he's convinced that, you know what, the people wanted him free. No. It wasn't the people that set Barabbas free that day. It was the love of a father that he didn't even know that he had that set him free. 
A guilty man got the reward of an innocent man, and an innocent man got the punishment of a guilty man. Jesus, Judah Smith says it like this. God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could turn around and treat Barabbas like Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. What kind of swap is this? That the Son of God who was perfect would take our place. And I say all this today to, to extend something to you in here. Maybe you're here and you haven't received forgiveness. Receive it today because it's available because of what He did at the cross. It's available because the Son of God was beaten beyond human recognition. It's available because that day Barabbas got free. Who is Barabbas? It's me and it's you. Barabbas was our stand-in 2,000 years ago. He represented all of humanity that deserved to be nailed to a cross. And the father said, I'm going to let my son take the place of Barabbas. Luke it's amazing when you look in all the Gospels in Luke 23, it records this story and it talks about this. In Luke 23, it's amazing how Luke paints a picture in Luke of the innocence of Jesus. Six times in one chapter, it says Jesus is innocent. Jesus is innocent. The Bible keeps going in Luke 23 and it says Jesus is crucified between two thieves. One of the thieves is mocking Jesus and the other thief says, look, we deserve the cross. But this man is innocent. He doesn't deserve this. It keeps going when the Bible says that the, the cloud, the sky grew dark. There was the man that oversaw the execution that was there. He, he, he began to say, this man surely was innocent. The Bible wanted us to see something. This man that deserved to be free would be willing to pay it all for us. Today I want to challenge you as you're going to hear an incredible story about forgiveness here in just a second. Receive forgiveness today and give forgiveness today. We can forgive because He's forgiven us. We can love because He's loved us first. And you're going to hear a story that I believe will change your life. Check this out. Hi, this is Randall Butler, and I'm a worship pastor at First Christian Church, but that's not how my story started. I want to take you on a journey. This is my God story. So this is a school that I attended. Um, I started here as a, a freshman and I got in trouble my freshman year. Here I spent 48 weeks in the juvenile boot camp uh, that they have here. And by the time I was 16, uh, I, I was convicted of a bomb threat here and I was expelled out of school. I was sent to Bolivar uh, and also sent to the McDowell Center, which uh, I get to go to now every week from eight to 10. And uh, yeah, also I get to come back to this school on March 4th and speak to all the students here. So this trailer behind us over here, uh, the yellow trailer, uh, and that's, that is the trailer that I learned about shooting up dope. And I would shoot up anything, cocaine, uh, crack, heroin, meth, Adderall, it didn't really matter. I didn't really have a drug of choice. And uh, there was a, a six of us that would, that would stay in there and doing that every single day of our life. That's what it consisted of. Uh, as soon as we got up from uh, the night or the morning before, like we would, we would all meet at that remote location. Yeah, and, and during this time when I was 
in this trailer shooting on this dope. I didn't believe in no Jesus. I didn't want to have no part of, of Jesus. Uh, we didn't talk about Jesus. There was no Bible uh, there. And um, yeah, it was, I, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about my life. Uh, I was just pretty much living it and, until I died. All right, so living the lifestyle that I was living, I ended up being incarcerated over 10 times, and two of the times was actually in this jail, in Crockett County Jail. And uh, But later in my life, after receiving uh, Jesus and I started serving at a church here, I actually just got to come back in here for two solid years every Monday and, uh, and minister to every single pod that's inside this jail. Uh, coming back here, man, brings back a lot of memories to me. Uh, a lot of really good memories uh, because some of my early upbringing, you know, just uh, looking at pictures from there and just, just reminiscing on some of the good times of my early years, but it also brings back bad memories uh, because I was a very miserable man. Um, I didn't want nothing to do with anybody uh, unless they were on drugs uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was some hard times. Uh, so this, this is the house that I actually grew up in. Uh, I spent more time in this house than any other house. This is my Meemaw's uh, house and my Uncle Jerry lived here too as well. And uh, I did a uh, lot of bad things in this house as well, but also this was a turning point in my life. Uh, my Meemaw was a devout Christian. She went to church every week. I never went with her. Uh, she would ask, but I, I would never go because usually I was strung out from the night before, but she always prayed for me. Uh, she was always there for me. She always loved me beyond my condition. And uh, I know that I know that I know uh, it, that her prayers are, are definitely some kind of result of my salvation. And uh, even though she's passed on now, she passed on in 2015 and my uncle Jerry passed on in 2017, even though they're gone now, um, this house really means a lot uh, to me. Uh, and uh, honestly, uh, it's, it's hard being here because I, I do miss them. I wish I could have another, uh, just another Sunday afternoon or something just to, just to eat with them and share with them because I learned so much in this house. And I'm just thankful that, that I had a, a grandmother like that, that loved me beyond my condition. Jesus, I pray your blessing over this house, Lord. I pray your blood over this house, uh, God, and thank you once again for, for giving a guy like me another opportunity uh, to share of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Come on, can we thank God for Pastor Randall's life being changed? And uh, I just noticed that uh, uh, I had the same clothes on, pretty much. So I, <laughs> somebody needs somebody to buy me some clothes or something. After. <laughs> Man, before we uh, really get into asking him questions and things like that, I want to say this about him. Uh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I've got an incredible, my real dad's here. And uh, I got a double blessing with Randall being my father-in-law. Telling you, you don't. People don't get father-in-laws like I got. I'm telling you. What you see up on this stage on Sunday is who he is every day of the week at home. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes we, we take for granted. Well, yeah, you can clap because this, this guy lives it. He's the real deal. And I don't want you to ever take for granted who you have that leads us in worship every week. This guy pours his heart out for Jesus. He loves people like somebody I've never seen before in my life. 
And he is the real deal. And I'm so blessed and thankful to have you as a father-in-law man, somebody I get to do life with. I would tell most people you're pretty much my best friend. I don't know if you'd say the same about me, but hey, I'll say it about you. Yeah, I'll say it. At least in front of them, I'll say it. Hey, that's all I care, that's all I care about as long as people hear it. Um, so, man, we, we heard about your life and you just kind of what it used to be. I'm thankful that Jesus changed your life. But I want to just ask you some questions, man. What was your life like before you were a Christian, and what was your perspective on Christians? I didn't like them. Uh, I hated them, just being real. Why? 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 I mean, my uh, perception of, of Christians was the ones that, you know, that I would see around me, which, which was few at the time, but uh, I, I would see them do these very ritual things. You know, they went to a, a building. I didn't know all the things that they did inside that building. Uh, uh, of course, I do now, but, uh, but I'd also, uh, you know, hear them in living rooms and stuff debating over scriptures and this, that, and the other, and then they'd go back the following Wednesday or Sunday to that building and uh, it's just kind of like a very repetitive process, and I didn't see a lot of uh, action, you know, and uh, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't inspiring to me. So my outlook of about even who Jesus was kind of came from that, and I didn't like him either. I didn't want, I didn't want no part uh, of it, and, uh, you know, and, and looking at, like, different denominations, and, and, oh, man, there's so many that you couldn't name them all, and I think weekly we come up with another different one but um you know seeing that seeing how how divided and stuff sometimes you know could, people could be in that circle you know I was like I would rather hang out at a bar or a club or, or or be in a trailer like that at least we're all in there for the same reason and we can all agree uh on that so yeah that was wow. kind of I don't know if you heard life. what he said I love what he said he said his perspective of Jesus was shaped by the people around him so it matters how we live it matters how you live, how you talk, how you walk on your job. It matters how you are around your family. Pastor Randall's got a quote on his whiteboard back there. It says, how you live your life is the most reliable indicator of what you believe. Don't tell me you believe if you don't walk what you, walk what you talk. And so, thankfully, you, you, you begin to tell me that later on down the road, you actually encountered some people that really lived what they said, and it changed your life. So I want you to tell me, what was your conversion like? Yeah, for sure. You know, I met some uh, I met some people that would I would call when I get around them a buzzkill <laughs> because uh, I could tell they was authentic and I could tell when they spoke of Jesus, uh, when they talked about Jesus, it was more than just that. They they really walked it out and and uh, so yeah, I had this uh, family coming to my life and in fact, the guy that shared last week, Joseph, um, very very dear brother of mine, known him for several several years. Uh, almost our whole lives, and, um, you know, seeing all the things that he went through, I had a heart for him, and um, I remember, and his brother, too, and, uh, you know, I knew his brother three or four years before he passed in that car accident when he was 11 years old, and um, he, and at that time, like, as soon as his brother passed, uh, that's when it, like, questions started really popping up in my Mine. I started just logically thinking about things and thinking about there. There has to be something more than just this. You know, I can't just exist and do the things that I'm continuing to do, and then die, and then that's that's the end of it. I really started thinking about things, and uh, I went to the funeral. Uh, God, had, I didn't know it at the time, but He placed this song on me, and I was just, you know, it was just out of my heart uh, for them. And it's called Joseph, and I sung it last week. 
up here and uh and when I did it at the funeral, um, I had his uh, sister come up to me, and I'll never forget it. She came up and she said, "I, w- I would like to have a copy of that. Um, if you can, if you can make that, record that. I'd, I'd love to have a copy." And also, um, she said, "Your music's anointed." And I remember, I'll, thanks. I guess I don't know. I got to go home and look that word up. I've heard awesome. I've heard great. <laughs> I've heard things like that before, but I ain't never heard that word before. So, um, so I went and made a copy out of it and. I remember going to her house. I'll never forget it. Uh, I can still remember that day like it was. It's forever etched in my mind like it was yesterday. And I walked to the door. I knocked, and she was, like, in the back room cleaning or something, and she told me to come in. And I remember opening the door, and she had gospel music going, and, and I, I remember the uh, cross and stuff like it on the wall. And I was like, oh, man, i got to hurry up and get out of here. I don't want to <laughs> hear how bad of a person I am and, and you know, and feel condemnation. And uh, so, literally, I was planning on going to the club that night. Like, that was my plan. I was just going to bring the city by and then go, you know, prepare for the night that I had ahead of me. And, and uh, But she asked me to come in and talk, and um, I remember sitting down in the chair, and I was like, oh, here we go, like, all over again. Because I'd, I'd heard it all my life. Like, I've been so beat up, man, by rules and regulations and about we're – you know, I was going where I was headed to because of the lifestyle I was living. But she she asked me this question. She said, "You're you're hurting, ain't you?" And uh, I just started crying immediately. And I was like, "Yes, ma'am, I'm hurting real bad." I mean, at the time, I you know I'd done went so far that I'd gotten suicidal, and I just I was living very selfishly, wasn't really thinking about myself, wasn't really thinking about anybody else. And I just started weeping and. Um, and she pointed out something. This was the, the next part is so odd, but it's it's true. It's just a part of the story. Uh, but uh, she pointed out two spots on my head, and I'd had like these intense migraines at the time. I didn't know where they were coming from, and I went to see like six different doctors and and hadn't heard an answer. And she literally pointed these out on my head. And I'm like, how does she know that? How could she know that? Like, because I haven't talked to, I wasn't talking to people about it. Like my family, like some of my immediate family knew it, but she didn't. She couldn't have known that but by God. Like that's the only reason she could have known it. And she asked to, to pray over me. And I, and I thought it was really unique because like that physical pain and that internal pain, which was what I, when she said, Are you hurting right? And I mean, I was thinking internally. I wasn't thinking about, like, the physical pain at the time. I was thinking about how bad I was hurting inside. And um, she prayed over me, and and God ended up um, taking care of the physical and the internal. You know, it was like two months later after them inviting me over and teaching me the gospel and loving on me. I received Christ in my life. I could still go and point the carpet out to you. It was a Liberty Hall church in Gaston, Tennessee. I mean, I could go to the stitch of carpet that I was at when I received Christ in my life. I, I, I sit there for three hours. I never felt so clean and I felt this new beginning and uh so yeah I'm I'm super thankful to still have that family in my life today they come to church here every week too as well and uh so it's amazing 17 years later and they're still here it's amazing it's amazing love will break through more barriers than religion ever could and uh God's love broke through what religion couldn't do what beating him over the head couldn't do somebody showed him love let that be something we take away with us today when we're dealing with difficult people Show them love because you never know what love will do for somebody. And I'm so thankful that Jesus changed your life. And so, of course, what we see you up here worshiping Jesus, and I've talked about I see you behind the scenes. So, But I want you to tell them, what's your life like after your conversion? What is, what's your perspective on life then? 
Um, I mean, of course, I still have, you know, trials, tribulations, temptations. I still, you know, I still struggle. Uh, I still have pain in my life, still have things that come against me. We, we're all in that same thing together. But, man, my life's great with Jesus. Uh, I, I have never met a friend like him. You know, and I, and I, and I love this. I heard a brother say this, and, and, and I just want to echo it because I, this is how I feel from my heart. Out of all the people I can talk to on a daily basis, like God is my favorite. I mean, the first thing when I wake up in the morning, I get the crust out of my eyes. I mean, I'm praying. Like, that's the first thing. And I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about people in my life and stuff and, and praying because I know that you have battles, too, that, that you fight. And, uh, but my life is great with Christ. But I, I learned this. I started getting in the scriptures and diving in there for myself. And uh, that's something Zach said this morning. I love it. Don't take his word for it. You know, actually go and search for yourself. You know, Paul, he accredited to the Bereans in Acts 17 because they did that. They didn't just take his word for it. They would go and study scripture. So I started doing that. And I was looking at the life of Jesus and how he lived and then the disciples after. And I seen all this action and I seen the way that he was towards people versus the Pharisees. You know, a lot of the people that that I was speaking of earlier that I was that I'd seen. And I was like, man, I want to be more like that. So following after Christ, like I just wanted to reach as many people as I could for the gospel. And, and I mean, still today, like that's one of my goals to love people, to build them up and let them know they're not forgotten. And, uh, you know, I've been able to be a part of so many lives, been blessed to be a part of so many lives. And one in particular that uh, uh, that I'm especially fond of is uh, the one that I'm about to share, we're about to share together. And uh, it's uh, Haley and Jackson. So I'm going to invite Haley, Jackson, and Renee up. And if y'all could, please give them a hand for coming up and doing this. sleepy. <laughs> and some of you may know a little bit of this story, but you're going to hear part of this story that is so real and probably a part of it that a lot of you don't know about. So I want you to tell me, Randall, you know, how, what was it like and how did you meet Jackson and Haley? Yeah, it was um, really unique because it, uh, before even meeting Haley and, and knowing her like seven years ago, God had put this desire in our families life that we was going to have a special needs child. We didn't know the gender. We didn't know the age. We didn't know any of those things, but we started like planning for it. And even like my daughter Miracle would learn sign language and stuff. And we were so serious about this life. God's calling us to, but we never filled our names out like on anything. We never pursued it like in that way. And for years, uh, to be honest, we forgot about it. And it was like a month before getting a call uh, from the Ripley courthouse. My wife brings it up at the uh, dinner table dinner table one night and uh she said do you remember that desire that we had and I said yeah I do she said when would that happen I said I guess when God wants it to and like literally a month later uh it was on a Thursday we get a call and I wish she gets a call from the Ripley Courthouse and it's about Jackson and you know so she's going to go meet him the next day or so she thinks just meeting him the next day on a Friday and I'd already had plans on that Friday there was a guy in town that had a uh, wreck he run up under a log truck and me and uh guy Matt Bowes who was leading up here this morning me and him went and was praying over him and uh so yeah so Renee went to the courtroom I'm not going to share no uh no more about that I'm gonna let Haley share that part because she knows it way better than I do so yeah so it's a whole lot more people in here this service than it was last service. But um, 
So I'm going to try to do this and not be nervous. But just to give y'all, you know, a little bit of a backstory about, you know, why we were even in the courtroom. Um, so I was 20 years old at the time. I had been, you know, doing drugs for a little while. Um, I was on meth at the time, but I would say that I was really addicted to just changing the way that I felt. So it didn't matter, you know, what it was that changed it, just anything. And, um, you know, I had had two kids, you know, before I had two kids, I was in my addiction. And then it just followed me all the way through. So when um, Child Protective Services showed up at my house to drug test me and my kid's father, of course, we both felt it for um, several different things. Um, so, you know, it took a week for the drug test to come back. And during that week, you know, I just was very, I was victimizing myself in any way possible. Like, all of y'all are against me. You know, what I'm doing is not wrong. You know, just because I get high, I take care of my kids. I can remember saying that so many times, and now it sounds so stupid. But, I mean, I truly believe that in the moment, you know. And, um, you know, my first son, Wesley, he'll be four this year. He... Uh, he was born, he was healthy, you know, everything was good. And then with Jackson, you know, I was the only one that knew how to take care of him. There was no family member that knew. There was nobody that was close to me that knew that was my baby and that was all me. Nobody else knew how to take care of him. So when they come to take my kids, you know, there was a lot of discussion about Jackson having to go to state custody because my family couldn't take care of him. Nobody knew how. So, um, you know, two days before the court hearing, I got a phone call that said, um, we found a couple, a preacher and his wife, that are willing to take Jackson. And, you know, I'm like, oh, a preacher and his wife. <laughs> of course, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you know, this is just, you know, I was still victimizing myself, like all hatred, anger, you know, everything just against them, against myself. Because here I am having to lay in this bed that I've made, and I'm not happy about it at all. And, um, so the day we go into court and I'm sitting there and I think I even had like my arms crossed and everything, like nobody talked to me kind of face, you know, and I see Renee walk in and um, my aunt and my uncle are signing the papers to get Wesley to take Wesley home with them. And uh, so I remember them sliding the piece of paper across the table to Renee and handing her the pen and she's got the pen in her hand and, uh, you know, she asks, she puts the pen down, and she says, I'm not signing this piece of paper until, you know, I talk to the mother and the father of Jackson alone in a room. And um, so she pulls us over to the room, and she's talking to us, and she talks to us for a minute, and then she prays with us. And, of course, you know, I'm crying, and he's crying, and, and she's crying. <laughs> and then she just looks at me, and she says something that sticks with me. And has stuck with me for this whole time. And she looks at me and she tells me that I'm not always going to be this way. And um, so, 
you know, I, and what I'm thinking in my head is, you know, how dare you even say that to me? Like, the lifestyle that I'm living, the people that I'm around, everything that's going on in my life, there's people that I that haven't seen their kids in years because what I'm doing has took over their whole life. So what you're saying to me right now is a lie. You don't understand. You don't get it. You don't know what I'm going through. And... You know, we get in the car, and I put Jackson in the car seat, and I remember telling her he is going to cry all the way home. I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> and I just remember getting in the car with my mama and my mama asking me, you know, what did, what did she say to y'all in the room? And I remember telling her that she told me I wasn't always going to be this way. And so, you know, today I sit here on this stage and I'm able to tell you that I'm nowhere near the person I was in that courtroom anymore. It's incredible. It's what love does. It's what love does. The fact that she could look her in the face in the middle of brokenness. What she did was she prophesied to her, basically, you're not always going to be like this. And Jesus turned it all around. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell uh, Renee and Jackson, thank you for being up here. Can we tell them thank you, guys? <clears throat> One of the things that Haley said in first service that really struck me is... Uh, she mentioned how Renee had told her that God loved her. And she, she said she remembers saying, there's no way God could love somebody like me. There's no way, because look at my past, look at what I've done. There's no way God could love me. Well, let me tell you, God did, and God still does, and God turned it all around. So no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, the love of Jesus and the blood of Jesus can wash every one of your sins away in a moment. In a moment. One drop of the blood of Jesus changes everything. And so, Randall, I want to ask you one last thing, man. If you could give advice, if you could give one piece of advice to the church today, to those that are in this room, what would it be? I would just talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most powerful thing that we have and we will ever experience in our life. And there's two different types of forgiveness. The one you receive and the other one you give. And I want to share a story in, in, in a courtroom. It, was in a, it wasn't that same day. It was another day. And it was a day that we got full rights of, of Jackson. And, and I, I'll never forget Haley that day. She had an orange jumpsuit on, and she was chained up. And she was uncertain of her future. And, um, and I, as I was hearing them talk about the charges and everything, it was probably one of the most quietest moments in my life because I'm a talker. I like to talk to people. Uh, if I'm not talking to people, like I'm talking inside my head, like I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody all the time, even if my mouth ain't moving. Like, and, uh, but that day, like God was really speaking to me and he was really speaking to my heart. And, um, I remember as the, the charges were being read, you know, there, there were a few people in there even kind of celebrating the fact that me and my wife was getting Jackson. And I, and I was celebrating that fact, too, because he'd become, like, my best friend. But it was also very bittersweet because I was looking at a lady, and, and I was thinking, what's Haley's life going to turn out like? What about her? And as I was reading these charges, 
And as I was hearing them, you know, I was thinking in my head, even though I didn't have this in my heart, it's like God was just speaking to me. You know, he's always taking us to a different level. You don't, you'll never learn the depths of forgiveness. You'll never learn the depths of grace. You'll never learn the depths of mercy. You'll never learn the depths of love ever in your life. Everything is unlimited. We're in a constant learning process. And that day, God was teaching me something amazing about forgiveness. You know, most of the times in a situation like that, this is what we say when we hear charges like that. Well, they deserve that. They've earned that. They deserve the worst sentence that they can get. How dare you do a child like that? Right? Whether you've said it out loud before, you've thought it. You've thought it before. We all have. You know how I know that? Because we all have a flesh wrapped around us. But that day, even though I wasn't thinking that, God was speaking to me about it. And this is what he asked me back as he was giving me that thought. What about you, Randall? What do you deserve? Let's put everybody else to the side because you'll answer to me one day. What about you? What, do you? what do you deserve for the things that you've done? What about the things that no one even knew about? What about the premeditated things that you thought and you didn't even like act out? I put all that to the side as far as the east is from the west. I have forgiven you and chosen not to remember those things no more. See, that's the power of forgiveness. I've heard it taught sometimes for platforms and from stages that God forgets your sins. Well, that would mean that he has a lapse in memory. You don't forget things when people hurt you. You don't, you don't forget those things. No, it's forgiveness is more powerful than that. Forgiveness is choosing not to remember that no more. You don't play it as a trump card no more. You see, God don't bring those accusations back. He's not an accuser of us no more. He's not bringing those accusations back up to us. We may, but he's not. And then when we forgive others, we don't bring those things back up no more. Those things are not to be played as a trump card. So I want to read this scripture that, that I read as soon as I left the courtroom that day. It's in Colossians 3, 13. One of my favorite books in the Bible, it says this, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It doesn't say it's a great idea to forgive others. It says you must forgive others. Remember that he's forgiven you. You must forgive others. So here's what I want us to do before we sing this amazing song all together. I want everyone, I'm just going to ask you just to close your eyes in the room just so there's no distraction. There's nobody looking around. And so I talked about two different types of forgiveness. And the first type is, is receiving. And many of us in our life, pretty much all of us at some point in time, whichever side you're on, have had a problem with receiving forgiveness from the Father, Father because you don't feel like you've earned it. You don't feel like you deserved it. And truth is, you haven't. <laughs> or you feel like you're too far gone and that just can't happen for you. That's only for others. So I'm going to ask you just in this moment, so I can pray over you here in a minute before we sing this song. I'm going to ask you in a moment. This is not for people to be looking around. This is, look, don't have no shame. I just want to know so I can pray for you in this moment. So if that's you in the room, if, you've had, if you have that trouble currently of receiving forgiveness from the Father because of your life or whatever it is, I just want you just to raise your hand so I can see it and so I can pray for you. 
There's no shame. Remember, there is no shame at all in this. There should be no shame in the kingdom. Jesus washed all it away. Thank you. Thank you. And so for the second time, and I think it's maybe even more common, if there's someone or people in your life that you need to forgive, and I want to say this is not just hand-raising on this one. You actually have to go do it. But if there's people in your life or a person that you need to go, go forgive today, don't tarry another day today. I just want you to slip your hand up so I can pray over you. Remember, there's no shame in this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the hands. Thank you for being honest. Let me pray for you. God, I just, I just pray over every single person that has raised their hand and lifted their hand, Lord, admitting either they have a problem with receiving forgiveness from you or they need to go forgive somebody else. I pray today would be that day. Today is the day of salvation and the day is the day of forgiveness, Lord. No longer do we wait. No longer do we tarry because we don't know how many days are even ahead of us or even is ahead of that person that we need to go forgive. And in fact, maybe by going to forgive that person could turn their life all the way around and point it right to you, Lord, and be a story just like we've heard, God. Thank you for all of the stories of forgiveness that I've got to see personally inside of my life including my own, Father. All good things come from you, so I give you credit for all of them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.